You're listening to Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny, a listener-supported podcast located at revelationsradionews.com. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. conspiracy. Before us, the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. Either you are with us, or you are with the terrorists. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Podcasting to you from a soggy dirt road in central Oklahoma, where I am glad I have four wheel drive on my automobile. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Gilkenny. And podcasting to you from Piedmont, Oklahoma, where it was shorts weather today. I'm Andrew Hoffman. (laughs) You gotta love the shorts weather while there's still ice on the roofs. Yeah. You can still see ice in the crevices of the roofs, but shorts weather. Tim was kind enough to let us record in the evening, so that meant during my lunch break, got nine holes of golf in. Very nice. So I would like to extend the uh, so greatness back to you, sir. We are starting this podcast one hour after I told Andrew that we would for various different reasons, so I appreciate you being such a gentleman and allowing uh, such a late start. Uh, I mean, I'm glad that you got some golf in, though. What was I going to do? Watch the State of the Union? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, we also got a chance to talk to uh, our friend uh, from Witness the Light Music. I don't know if we're supposed to say his name, but uh, yeah, he's awesome. And uh, he was helping us with uh, some of the audio. And uh, what well, turns out your book has a little bit of him, uh, a little bit to do with him finding us. So that was uh, that was awesome. Yeah, the. The way that people come to the podcast, it's always interesting to hear. And someone at his church is like, hey, you like conspiracy stuff? Check out this book. Check out this podcast. And there you go. I did see a uh, pretty big spike in visits to the website today because uh, speaking of people coming to the website, and I'm sure you're probably going to get to it later, but uh, you have it in here. Do, 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 do. No, you're probably just going to mention it. But uh, our good friend Will from The Truth to Strangers in Fiction. Just put out a uh, just put out a new video, and uh, he he plugged us. Put a little little bit of a, a rant and a reading of an article from you last week uh, in there, and then said something about our website. And we're seeing a little little bit of punch in traffic. So if you're coming here from Will's channel, welcome. Will has completely uh, converted Andrew, and uh, yeah, 
converted to a biblical cosmology. There we go. It's the, the term term we prefer over here. Yeah. Will Will is a good dude, and uh, Will used to live strangely enough uh, in Seattle for most of his life in this one of the Seattle areas, and uh, I got a chance to talk to Will a little bit today after his his. Uh, his video, he uh, sent me a message. Was like, "Hey, can we talk?" I was like, "Oh, sure." So, uh, we just ranted about uh, how terrible Seattle is. <laughs> nice. It is, nice. and it just uh, that that article that you read really epitomizes a lot of what's going on in Seattle with the virtuals versus the reels. And and uh, anyway, he had a lot of the same thoughts, and so we got a chance to just talk it out. But he is he is awesome. Again, like you said, uh, I think our mark as a successful podcast is that most of our listeners are amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're, like, I feel like we're the, we're the lowest. We like, have, we're the, we don't have the league. most, but we have, we're the only podcast where everyone that listens is smarter than we are <laughs> and knows more stuff than we do. So it's, you know, I don't know if it's like a, well, let's listen to these guys because it makes me feel like a genius, but every time I meet someone that's like, Oh yeah, I listen to your podcast. It's, it's always like, well, you'd know way more than I do. You should probably be doing your own podcast there or YouTube channel, which, which, you know, will does, but my, my most important role at this point is just like nagging will to put out more videos. So my most important role is to remind you that Claude Lemieux listens to this podcast (laughs) and that you better continue to keep the, uh, Oh gosh. I don't know any hockey references. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say batting average, but it's definitely not yeah, going to work. No, no. Keep, save percentage for the goalie. You yeah, know. that's about it, though. That's all I know. So anyway, yeah. keep the sports ball term up. There you go. <clears throat> stay out of the penalty box. Yeah, stay out of the penalty box. So, oh. hey, guess what, buddy? Uh, last week we were doing the show, and yeah, we. Luke Rutkowski uh, sends out a video. There's an explosion. And then there yeah. was more explosions and more explosions. And boom, we went right on into some Ukraine and uh, some war with Ukraine. And I'm just amazed at all these people who haven't paid attention to the last 15 wars and how much money we spent on them and how many people <laughs> died and what the interests really were for the big bankers. They really care about this one. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's they really care. Yeah, it's you know, Will, Will sent us a clip of John MacArthur uh, oh, talking it. Please, please, no, at his, please. Let's, let's, no, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, play it. But the, but, but I'll, I'll just say, you know, it's the church uh, we go to here. The pastor's first thing, first thing, for no songs, no anything. Pray for Ukraine. Talk about Ukraine first thing. So this is there. There's a notice that went out. So all the other wars are, you know, I've never seen a church service full full up front praying for a war that's happening in Africa. <laughs> but uh, Ukraine, this is this is a big deal. There's about eighteen thousand things to talk about from this this statement yeah. you just made. First off, John MacArthur is amazing. I like John MacArthur, but I would never look to him for any kind of political guidance. He's kind of just <laughs> he's kind of just a classic old man. 
from the America who kind of thinks America's great. I honestly kind of love the fact that he kept saying the Ukraine. It's like, yeah, yeah, man, don't, don't let him. You're not going to get John MacArthur saying, uh, spelling, um, <laughs> saying Kiev and spelling it K Y, whatever they're, they're yeah. spelling now, yeah. but, uh, instead anyway, of K I E V. I'll look to John MacArthur for biblical Bible teaching, not what's going on in Ukraine period. Yeah. End of, end of full stop. And then, uh, yeah, I tried to warn you about this uh, conservative Christian Oklahoma situation. <laughs> it, you know, this is some of the stuff that uh, our old friend Dr. Future talked about. You know, the, yeah. repel, the rappelling down from the ceilings and stuff. I know that you hadn't seen it up there in the Northwest, but uh, it exists here. So, so the, I'll just throw this in there since, we, since I kind of mentioned it. But a uh, tweet from uh, Rap Game Edward Bernays, one of my favorite Twitter follows there. It says, by the way, they changed the spelling from K-I-E-V to K-Y-I-V so that old news stories about American shenanigans in Ukraine don't come up. <laughs> Hashtag SEO magic. <laughs> I mean... And I, I think he's got a point there. I, I set out to, uh, to find the ghost of... Uh, Kiev, <laughs> and I, I couldn't, I couldn't find it. But I was searching K Y I V, but you know, maybe, maybe I should have been looking K I V. No, no, no. It's definitely the new spelling for Ghost, oh. Ghost of Kiev. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've heard he's taken out dozens. You know, the Russian military is having a bad day. Bad, yeah. bad day. <laughs> Did you see the? Okay. Did you see the thing that was shared around? That came from it came from a government source in Ukraine claiming like the four thousand Russian troops dead and two ships destroyed and like twenty aircraft shot down and just crazy stats with no basis whatsoever. Just like and that was getting passed around as like, oh, it's science. Ukraine says they did all this. Wow, man, they're they're amazing. <laughs> I, did, I didn't see it. So the <clears throat> did uh, did you hear the Snake Island story? Of course. Okay. So Snake so, Island. So is part of the reason our all of our listeners are smarter than us that we never like dumb anything down to like explain from the beginning what happened. We just jump in in the middle. We're like, oh. no, people. No, every, everyone's everyone has seen all this stuff. I don't even you know. At some level, I don't even want to go through point by point that it's all fake uh, because it's already admitted to be fake. Like the snake Island thing. Um, it was actually will that sent us the Fox news clip of them, you know, shedding crocodile tears over these brave Ukrainians that told the, the Russian warship to go F yourselves. And then the Russian warship killed them all. And their heroes, except uh, there's, video of them surrendering and being also, taken away un, also, unharmed. Also, hmm. is go F yourself like the same in Ukrainian? Like, is this? Yeah, it's just like, yeah, is that the only way to translate it? Yeah. It's, <laughs> you just hear. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. It's the same English swear words. Yeah. That's well, swear words do tend to, uh, to cross over language uh, pretty easily, but um, yeah, this is, it is war propaganda. 
Um, do you have any initial takes? Um, Corbett had a good essay on the subject. Oh, did he write something? I haven't seen yeah. it. Oh, no. Okay. Well, my initial takes on on Kiev. Uh, well, just the Ukraine war propaganda in general. Yeah. Um, no, I mean it, it's it's been it, it. It has felt like I, I didn't want to say anything, right? Because like last week, we're literally awake when the bombs start falling, right? Yeah, we it, were recording the show, and I was really thankful I hadn't gone with the full like nothing's gonna happen take because that's you know. I thought that was a, a possibility, but uh, only idiots do that for the year uh, pred- <laughs> prediction review. <laughs> Remember, I predicted nothing would happen. Nothing, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of wishful thinking, but anyway, um, I, I didn't like. We watched all the bombs, and then there was the twitters and the four chans and the reddits and all the YouTubes and the places where the people talk about the stuff. But it was like it was weird. It felt recycled. It felt mm-hmm. manipulated. It felt wrong. And then a couple of days go by and I keep seeing, well, what's going on? And I'm just, ah, I don't know. And then I think it was Will who messaged us. And it was just like, oh, by the way, we need to start like a group chat, like with all of our RN listeners who want to like throw their theories in there. I think that would be a helpful thing to do. Uh, but anyway, uh, he texted, he just said, this is the most wag the dog thing ever. And I was like, Dude, that is exactly how I feel. And then I start looking for more evidence of it. And then we all just start sending each other memes and these like hilarious, like, hey, this photo has been used from 2015 over and over again. Right. And from, from that moment on, I, I'm starting to feel like, well, then uh, Adam Curry went into his uh, thing on Sunday where he explained mm-hmm. like, you know, this is this is the uh, uh, financial part of the Great Reset. Whether there's a real war or not, they're going to use this to kick him out of swift try and collapse the banking system and then uh, try and do a reset that way, which I thought was, I don't know if that'll be successful or if that's the full plan, but it does feel like that that's very possible. Uh, I don't know if you heard this titillating tidbit of information, but uh, Putin has been taken off the world economic forum website. Oh, they took him off. (laughs) He's, (laughs) it's been kicked out of the family. Yeah. World economic forum website, Putin not found. So. Well, because there's the clip of Klaus Schwab saying he was a young global leader, but the dates why, really don't mat, match up. So it's kind of strange. But the but that's that's first off, that's according to John C. Dvorak, <laughs> and I heard him say that as well. But they could match up. It's just the World Economic Forum has been around since the '70s, so he could have been a young global leader in the. Well, if they didn't have that. Uh, He's quite a bit older than Merkel, and they had to change the age uh, category to let Merkel in. Yeah. I think so. Well, uh, well okay. Merkel. But well, I'll, I'll read. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'll read someone who actually knows what he's talking about while you look up to <laughs> debunk my assertion that Putin is older I'm, than Merkel. <laughs> Because it matters so much. But anyway, yeah, it's like Klaus Schwab said he was a young global leader. I don't know why he wouldn't be. But um, it actually is important to 
the thesis that I will eventually get to. But okay, anyway. So you the Ukraine crisis: what you need to know by James Corbett. You've no doubt heard the story of the crisis in Ukraine by now, but as we've been told all our lives, there are two sides to every story. So which side of the story have you heard? There's the MSM establishment dinosaur media side of the story. Let's call it the Team NATO narrative. In this version of events, the bloodthirsty, insane, psychopathic, literally Hitler leader of Russia, Vladimir Putin, woke up a few weeks ago and suddenly decided to invade the free, peaceful nation of Ukraine for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Then there's the alternative media side of the story. Let's call it the Team Bricks narrative. In this version of the story, the valiant defender of human liberty... Vladimir Putin is fighting to protect the free peoples of the world from the globalists and their sinister machinations. As I say, you've doubtlessly heard one or another of these stories by now, or if you've really paid attention, you might have heard both. But I'm here to tell you today that there, that you've been lied to your whole life. There aren't two sides to every story. There are at least three, maybe more. Now, you know me. Here at the Corbett Report, I like to go deeper than the simplistic binary narratives that you get in the establishment press or in much of the so-called alternative press. So let's dive deeper and look at the third side of the Ukraine crisis story. First, let's get up to speed on the bear, with the bare facts of the mainstream 2D narrative. As you already know from my recent work on the topic, see here, here, and here, the links to this recent work on the topic, Ukraine-Russia tensions ramped up considerably over the past few weeks. A series of cyber attacks on Ukrainian government websites, a White House-endorsed conspiracy theory that Russia was planning a false flag event to justify an invasion, and a series of bold proclamations that Russia was going to invade Ukraine by such and such a date, all added to the tensions. The final straws prompting this military assault appear to have been an increase in NATO threats and provocations in recent months, including joint NATO-Ukrainian drills and an unprecedented $200 million airlift air, air of ammunition to Kiev in January, <clears throat> the U.S.-NATO rejection of Russia's demands for a guarantee that NATO would not offer membership to Ukraine, and an increase in fighting in the Donbass region between Ukrainian troops and Russia-backed separatists, leading to the latter asking Russia for military support. This, as we know, now know, culminated with the Russian state Duma adopting a resolution calling on Putin to recognize the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics, DPR and LPR, which Putin did on February 21st. Three days later, he announced a special military operation to protect the people of the Donbass. The special military operation very quickly expanded beyond the Donbass, striking targets in and near the Ukrainian capital of Kiev and elsewhere around the country. Given that this is an unfolding news event, I cannot provide you with the very latest news, but here are the latest developments as of press time, which was uh, yesterday. <clears throat> um, and I'll kind of skip through that. And I'm on the wrong browser for my cough button. Say something, Tim. <laughs> I will laugh. I will say I uh, don't have a cough button myself. I do have a handy bottle of water here, freshly filtered. Okay. All right. I'm back. I was not signed into the CorbettReport.com on the browser that we use for the show. That was, so I had to switch. Anyway, we're back. No worries. All right. The deep background. 
The answers to those questions, what does this mean, why is it happening, who is the aggressor here, and who is the bad guy, are perfectly straightforward if you're unfortunate enough to get all your news and information from the establishment media. Putin is a singularly evil psychopath, the Russian people have bloodlust, and this is all part of a larger gambit by the scheming Russians to form a Novorossian Empire. It isn't hard to see why this is so, for if you do listen only to the mockingbirds of the MSM, you believe that the history of Russian-Ukrainian relations began in 2014 when Russia invaded Crimea. You have heard from this fake news media that Russia simply decided to march into Ukraine in 2014, annex a chunk of Ukraine, and then taunt the international community for years by placing its military closer and closer to NATO bases. Indeed, if you took everything presented in this Team NATO narrative at face value, it would be impossible to see these events, these unfolding events, as anything but an act of unprovoked aggression by Putin and the Russians. But as I noted in my recent questions for Corbett episode on this crisis, your understanding of history depends entirely on where you start the clock on the history of recent events. If you started the clock on February 24th, 2022, then the matter is simple. The Russians suddenly declared war in Ukraine and began an unprovoked and unjustified invasion of that country. But why not start the clock on February 19th, 2022, when Ukrainian President Zelensky revealed his intentions to make Ukraine a nuclear power in violation of the Budapest Memorandum of 1994, when U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris accused Russia of spreading lies and disinformation before threatening unprecedented sanctions if Russia further invades Ukraine, and when German Chancellor Olaf Scholz berated Putin and the Russians for their aggressive actions and dismissed claims of genocide against the Russian-speaking people of the Donbass as ridiculous, to put it bluntly. Wouldn't those three statements provide a different perspective from which to view these events? Why stop there? Why not start the clock in January when the unprecedented airlift of hundreds of millions of dollars of weapons and ammunition began arriving in Ukraine? Or how about going back to last September during the joint Ukrainian-NATO military exercises? Which, by the way, uh, right on Russia's border, you know, this is not something the U.S. would ever put up with. Right. But uh, but it's okay when we do it. Or maybe we should begin this story in February 2014 when Ukrainian the Ukrainian parliament passed the unconstitutional law to strip Viktor Yanukovych of his presidency, also known as the CIA color revolution coup. All right. And then Orange. he goes back to the Victoria Newland phone call and, and on back from there. So excellent article. Check that out. And... Obviously, the the conclusion. Um, <laughs> or are you the type of person who watches the clip of Schwab bragging about all the cabinets that the World Economic Forum has penetrated around the world without noticing that the second person he lists in his stable of WEF acolytes is Vladimir Putin? And then there's pictures. Putin shaking hands with Klaus Schwab. Putin shaking hands with Klaus Schwab somewhere else. Putin shaking hands with Klaus Schwab somewhere else. Oh, interesting. Wait a second. Are you the type of person who conveniently forgets how to read when Xi and Putin release documents extolling the creation of the New World Order that call on all states to protect the United Nations-driven international architecture and declare that in order to accelerate the implementation of the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, States will have to take practical steps in key areas of cooperation like vaccines and epidemics control, 
financing for development, climate change, sustainable development, including green development, industrialization, digital economy, and infrastructure connectivity? Are you the type of person who constantly forgets that Vladimir Putin is close personal friends with Henry Kissinger? Are you the type of person who believes the Russian COVID vaccine is the good kind of vaccine and the Russian vaccine passports are the good kind of COVID vaccine? Vaccine passports and the Russian COVID clown show is the good kind of COVID clown show. <laughs> so I think we we get the point. And if you've listened to James recently, there's a, a certain element of frustration because, you know, 15 years into it, and he's getting people that are like, oh, you're always on Putin's side. Or <laughs> it's like, what do you, you know? And it's just, uh, it's like the Ents in Lord of the Rings. No, I am on no one's side because no one is on my side. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, we've already been through all this too, remember? Yeah. Like, uh, what, what, no, what was it? Uh, what was the, cons- when was it? That all conspiracy theorists, or many, thought Putin was the good guy. It was pre-Donald Trump, so it must have been he was ant. Putin was anti-Obama, and conspiracy theorists were anti-Obama, so therefore Putin was good. Was was it that was that the time period? But there was definitely a time period where cons- all conspiracy people were like, "No, he's good. He's fighting the new world order." Uh, was it connected to the Iran and? Serious stuff, maybe, or maybe it's just yeah. I mean, that's maybe that's it's been around a while, even longer. The um, you know, Putin is the arch nemesis, Russia is evil. I mean, that's been around obviously since the 1950s, but obviously not for Putin, but Cold War the the Cold War patriot narrative has been around much longer. But yes, I I know what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway, but it's just there's poor poor James. He's been doing this for however long, and it's like there's no people don't have context. They're like new to him. They're like writing him like this guy clearly doesn't know that he's always talking about how Putin's good. I'm gonna write him and tell him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, you know, we we get a small taste of that, but it's I'm sure nothing on the scale of of what he hears and what. People that are well. The one episode we did with him recently, we received three constructive criticism type of emails. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine how many he receives. So the um, I don't want to get too far off of here. Okay. Let's. Uh, you got anything else, real quick, or do you want to talk about Ice Age farmers material here? You got those clips ready to go i got some clips is it about ukraine yes we're still in ukraine um so there is oh uh, let's see what i titled them so ice age farmer the shorter one the intro one My friends, welcome. In my previous report, it was still the early hours of the conflict in Ukraine, but already we could see that uh, merchant ships getting hit with vessels and the ports closing was going to be a big problem to the extent that a third of the world's grain supplies come out of the Black Sea region. Uh, Of course, we said, let's keep an eye on this and see how long the situation is going to continue. And unfortunately, 
in the hours since then, not only have numerous analysts and traders and experts echoed my warnings, but we see that this is not going to be a short-lived thing. In fact, countries are shutting their ports to any Russian-flagged vessels or vessels that have been chartered by Russian companies or even carrying Russian goods. That's, you know, for example, uh, the UK today passed a law to ban all ships with any Russian connection from entering British ports. So that's, even if they completely clear up the conflict in Ukraine overnight, uh, these vessels are not going to be able to reach uh, the UK going forward. But even more absurd to me is the fact that you see the global shipping industry shutting down service summarily to uh, to Russia. So here's Maersk, the world's biggest shipping company, suspending all container shipping to Russia. And several others then hopped on board this This is not a virtue signal. This is a destruction, an implosion, a controlled demolition of the global shipping industry. Here from Bloomberg, Russia gets cut off from the world trade as shippers halt cargoes. All containers, about half of the companies now have said, we're not going to, we're not even going to send containers to Russia. Folks, you can't do that and have the world continue to function as it has been. Here it is, quote, almost half of the world's container ships will no longer go to and from Russia. That's going to royal trade in everything, not just metals and clothes and electronic goods, but food. There it is right there from Bloomberg. So this is now a lasting effect that we're going to have on the food supply. So I want to give uh, a little more concrete data to what's going on, how that's going to impact the global food trade. And then because a lot of people are, are now talking about this. Then I want to step back uh, and get some perspective on this and ask the question, how much of the greater reset agenda, the absolute zero carbon agenda, the great food transformation, does what we're seeing now push forward, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you remember from the absolute zero report, part of their goal, it wasn't just about reshaping the way the world eats and cutting out meat and raising food prices so people would would stop wasting food and so on and so forth. It was also about ending the shipping industry. You can see that big red dot right there as all shipping declines to zero because of carbon emissions. We have to get rid of the shipping industry. So is Maersk literally committing suicide in order to achieve the zero carbon agenda? I thought that was an interesting take and I hadn't heard I actually hadn't heard that shipping thing. No, me either. And that's, you know, he he always looks at the food, you know, the food supply angle. And that's, you know, that's when things get serious. You can you can live without your, uh, you know, your new exercise bike. Uh, You can live without your new (laughs) uh, your new car that was burned up suspiciously on a, a giant cargo ship but uh when you're when you're talking about food all it takes is and it's kind of like the bank run phenomenon with with money it, when people start hearing uh there's they're running out of food at the grocery store what happens everything else gets cleared out it's, and you're left with a choice of either starvation or 
soy products Ugh. and you have to starve. I thought you were so, going to say, <laughs> I thought you were going to crack a joke. I guess you did. It was a little bit long way around, but uh, yeah, I, there is a meme. You've seen the meme, right? Like we're scared, but we're not eat fake meat scared. Yes. <laughs> it shows yes. the fake meat section untouched. Yeah. Or, you know, before a hurricane or whatever event is causing people to clear out the grocery store. Everything is bare, you know, one thing here or there, and then the, the fake meat section still fully stocked. <laughs> <sighs> that's true. Hey, you know, that's the side I'm on. I, I'd rather starve than eat Bill Gates' fake meat. Come on, man. So, Bill Gates, you hear, bugs. you hear Rogan went off on him this last week? So. I, I did hear it, yeah. I did. <laughs> I didn't want you to have to edit the clip, but uh, yeah. <laughs> little tooth toothpick arms and an overweight belly. It's just, yeah, it's man boobs. And it's true. It's like he, you know, and and he's not the he's not in the worst shape of the health experts no. telling us what to what to do. That's one of the things we've complained about the whole time. It's like yeah. you know, I'll I'll take the. Um, naturopathic doctor or the alter you know yeah that actually is in really good shape like huh maybe they maybe they know what they're talking about i'm supposed to <laughs> bill gates yeah but uh so the he covers a, a few different things in his video which just came out today so people should check out the the whole thing there but um the other section i clipped is about cyber attacks on uh, the shipping industry, which I had not heard these either. So. I should be playing this clip. Giant Expeditors International has shut down most of its systems in response to a cyber attack that was just disclosed uh, two Sundays ago, raising fears of further stress on an already fragile global supply chain. The freight forwarding company says it currently has limited ability to conduct its operations. Okay, so ports are closing and shipping companies are cutting out Russia. They're having cyber attacks at the same time in a Seattle-based company. And here's one Indian uh, shipping company that has also been hit by a ransomware attack. Let's zoom in here. Quote, a suspected ransomware attack has knocked out the management information system at this port container terminal, one of the five marine facilities, I'm not going to try the name there, in India's top container gateway. So the biggest container gateway in India is now out of service because of another cyber attack. So Seattle being hit, India being hit, and then over here, the gold bond cyber attack, the effects are going to last for weeks, according to experts. The group operates terminals as well as a robotic logistics center in the port of Ashdod and announced that the shutdown of most of its computer systems uh, was caused by a cyber attack. The gold bond group informed the stock exchange yesterday, this was on the 1st of uh, February, that a cyber attack had shut down the company's computers and as a result, a large part of its operations had been shut down. So ladies and gentlemen, within the last month, three major ports, uh, major logistics and shipping companies around the world have all had cyber attacks that have shut down their operations. This is, and now we're hitting the Ukraine crisis. This is not 
coincidence. And just to, to be clear, any one of these things causes problems because it's the same containers being bounced around the world, right? It's, it's, there's not, it's not like India can have a problem and everyone else can keep running. All of these things are interlinked. And when ships sit for too long off the west coast of the U.S. or when they're waiting for 40 days because the, the soybeans aren't there in Brazil, everything is, is, is grinding to a halt. And it's just uh, eroding the stability of the system. And the bottom line is we're hitting a tipping point. And that tipping point is something we've talked about a lot, right? How long it takes before you just have a cascading series of failures in your supply chain. It, we're there now. We really are, especially given the Ukraine conflict. Man. They're going to so, use this, if real or not, they're going to use this. This is, yeah. this is, we're just and, painting uh, the smoke screen. Oh, it was a war. Putin is bad. Look at what happened. Exactly what was supposed to happen, what we're trying to get rid of. Well, and they're, they're making a huge deal out of crashing the ruble too. Yeah. And this is this is part of the financial part of the agenda is to try and basically apparently destroy one by one or a bunch at a time sovereign currencies so that then it's like, well, you know, it, those Russians might not have wanted to give up their their rubles for the the worldo coin. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, but now when the ruble's worth nothing, might be a different story. So yeah. this, this, you know, they might be kind of the first domino to fall. But man, this war propaganda thing—I've kind of come full circle where I think this is actually um, it's targeting. Ukraine trying to to pump them up. You know, we got Elon Musk making sure they've got internet access. We can't have them going without internet. That's you know, we got it. We're our Congress and Britain and ever and Germany is sending weapons in. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, you got lots of uh, lots of machine guns and non-trained people. That does not do you any good. That's an that's a recipe for getting yourself shot. Like, here's a gun. Go out and fight the Russian army. It doesn't, you so, know. And according to official narrative, it's like not wooden guns like in the pictures or airsoft <laughs> guns like Miss Ukraine had. The airsoft gun without the right, right, side right. flipped up. These are real. So according yeah, to these the, are, the real guns, but they're not only just real guns, they're fully automatic. Yeah. Fully automatic. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, fully automatic means you just hold the trigger down and it will spit out bullets until it's empty. Yeah. So like you're going to give Scarface that style or you're going to give yeah. that to untrained people. Yeah. And it should be fine. And I think Ukraine's getting set up by the West um and egged on to, yeah, fight Russia. And they're hoping that they can do a little damage to Russia. You know, that, that'd be a, a positive. But the main thing is they want Russia basically to, ha to take over Ukraine. Now you've got Russian territory bordering NATO. It's no longer like creeping up to Russia's border. Now you're there. 
And any small incident here or there, you can have a full-blown world war on your hands. And w- without that buffer zone of a of a you know neutral or at least non-NATO country in between. So I've, I've been thinking about this. <clears throat> There's too many countries, man. There's too many countries. <laughs> if you want to rule the world, you want a world government. There's way too many countries right now. Like one of the main reasons you haven't taken the United States out, although they've tried, is because there's 50 states. It's a United States. There's too many. We just need less countries. So I think we're going to start to see some annexation, some uh, some merging of countries. You know, I'm going to pick a number out of nowhere. It's going <laughs> to be... Ten, ten <laughs> countries, kind of super states. I'm just thinking ten. I don't no, know they why. Don't have to, kingdoms, just, yeah, kingdoms. I'm thinking <laughs> ten kingdoms. I don't know why. I'm just feeling it. That's that's yeah. what it'll be <laughs> eventually. But uh, you might need a might need a massive war to move some more yeah. Yeah. pieces like, around on the chessboard. I but mean, how how you, hard is Ukraine, it to merge? Let, how, let me how, just. How hard is it to know, merge? Uh, United States, Canada, and Mexico. I mean, how hard is it really? Like Mexico, <laughs> Mexico literally like populates ten to fifteen percent of this country. Canada. I mean, what do they got? They got maple syrup. They got Trudeau. Trudeau has to go. So I don't know how we're gonna we're gonna make this all work. But uh, it it should be it should be easy. It should be easy to merge. That's 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 one country down. That's that's one continent, one country. Yeah, or you could just annihilate everything in this you know this part of the world and uh have the ancient version of the world everything around the mediterranean sea be pretty much all that's left but what the heck did uh uh was it brzezinski called it the world island uh well, Brzezinski t- talked a lot about Afghanistan and about keeping Russia from joining up with China. Yeah, no, and I know, so but they, they called the they called the not Australia, North or South America landmass the World Island. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, because it is kind of one big island. It's the biggest yeah. one. Anyway. So- so the so I'm thinking Ukraine is, you know, I, I don't know if we have anybody listening in Ukraine and there's not much they could do even if they knew it, but you are being set up. And by the way, churches, pastors in a, in America, you're being set up too. Because I don't know, 20 minutes from now, they're going to rediscover the fact that there's a bunch of neo-Nazis in Ukraine. <laughs> And you're sitting there, you pray for Ukraine. Oh, Ukraine's the greatest. You bunch of Christians in Ukraine, all the, you know, which compared to other former Soviet republics, there might be a lot of Christians in Ukraine. But there's also a lot of uh, problematic people. And not just not just problematic, not just, <laughs> pro- not just problematic people. Let's call it out. There's there's massive massive human trafficking. Yeah, there is. Tons of cyber warfare. This is every, you know, hacker worth of salt knows of the, the threats that come out of Ukraine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there is corrupt politicians. There is uh, gas and oil. There is, you know, I think there was a meme getting sent so around. If, Romney's, if you were- Romney's son, Pelosi's son, <laughs> they all- Biden's son, and somebody else's son all have all ties. All for Ukrainian energy companies. Yeah. yeah. So weird. Because they're so upstanding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not corrupt. Yeah. 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 Uh, Which, they've, been, they've been using it as a, as a piggy bank. Yes. And this will conveniently cover all that up. And if, if you, you know, when in doubt, start a big war and everybody will forget everything else. And it was like a, the COVID switch was turned off and the war switch was turned on. But, all that, you know, the goals of COVID, vaccine passports, um, infra, you know, public health infrastructure, cooperation between countries, all, all that stuff is still going to keep right on marching along. You know, we got, we got vaccine, the implementation of optional uh, vaccine digital IDs in our fine state of Oklahoma coming up you know we're we're signing on to that of course it's not mandated now but it's all everything's being set up for that part of the agenda but right now you know it's all all war propaganda and you want to i have a friend of the show named sebastian who is uh up in uh, the state of washington he uh recently went to the doctor and uh, found that there is a qr code now in his medical record so they already have their health ID there in Washington state. And he has a QR code that the doctor just scans. And he's like, Hey, what is that? He's like, Oh, it's just a way for me to save your information. I started laughing and I was like, Hey, like, cause good old Sebastian listener to this episode unvax or listen to this podcast unvax. I was like, did it like <laughs> when he scanned it, did it go? Pure blood, pure blood alert. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Oklahoma is signing on to this. Everybody's quietly still signing on to this, even though the Mm -hmm. mandates are going away. Yep. So they're getting, you know, I I, I said this long ago, and I think James Corbett has been talking about it. He's been saying the same thing. I said back in like April when we first started the show back up, April 2020, this feels like a beta test. And I think it was. I think they wanted to see how far they could push and how well and who could take the vaccine and who wouldn't and massive amounts of data was collected. And the, uh, the uh, plan moves together. The plan moves forward regardless. You know, the plan moves forward in right. spite of all of the uh, information that's been co- collected. Cause and they know where they'll start having to use force, right? They, they know what, what percentage they can get to just with propaganda and when they'll have to start putting a gun to your head and saying spoiler vaccine or pe- die spoiler it's all the people rooting for ukraine saying that yeah. putin is bad those yeah. are the ones they can get to do anything yeah you know <laughs> there's there's a chunk of people that are they're they're bought in you know there's the the meme of the NPC's head being opened up and the 
COVID chip being taken out and replaced with the Ukraine <laughs> chip, you know. <laughs> but uh, I like I, that. I like that meme. It's a quality meme, man. I yeah. wish I wish I had made that one. I like. Um, so Mark Crispin Miller has been on. He's been interviewed by Corbett. I've seen him a few other places, but uh, you know, he literally taught taught college level classes on propaganda. And that's what he did: media oh, studies and propaganda. Isn't this so. the dude who got fired in? Uh, yeah, he, he he pointed out about the fact that uh, you know all this. Uh, this is propaganda, the COVID stuff. This, and this is textbook propaganda. And we talked about that. Yeah. We talked about him. Yeah, he got fired from the, the New York and, University NYU. job. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. We talked about him. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I like this man. So uh, there's there's two <laughs> <You> know, clips. <laughs> you know, I teach propaganda, and this mask stuff is propaganda. And like one late one girl in this class was like, nah, he's teaching that it's propaganda. <laughs> so this is a clip from a speech he gave in 2017. Okay. So he talks a little bit about Ukraine. It's more about uh the Syrian war propaganda and this is Hold back on. when Assad was dropping barrel bombs on his people, remember all that? Ooh, dude, he took bombs and he put them in barrels. <laughs> and then he dropped po- poison gas attacks on his people. We talked about that on our, our podcast at the time. But yeah. um, so he's given this speech and I cut out. All the bodies the, were counted from the, uh, the Syrian body count defense fund or whatever. White, white some, helmets. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, no, the uh, something the like foundation for Syrian peace or something. It was like. One dude in oh, a, yeah, a in guy a, in, in a, London in a London like, apartment track of the body count somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh he's in a gas so, zone people. Yeah, the orthodontist. No, ophthalmologist. He's an ophthalmologist who speaks incredibly uh rationally about most things. We gotta get rid of that guy. Yeah. So this first clip, which is the shorter one, um so you know which one to, to play there. He's talking about <laughs> uh, World War World War One propaganda. Yeah. So, which is something I've read quite a bit about, and uh, I thought this was interesting. Thought it would be appropriate to begin by harking back to 1917, a hundred years ago, uh, to take note of the uh, catastrophic success of the Allied propaganda drive that brought the United States into World War I, which was actually a very uh, direct echo of the British propaganda drive from two years earlier that uh, impelled the British people to support uh, joining the drive to defeat the Hun and save poor little Belgium from its ongoing rape by that uh, brutal entity. Uh, the British and then the Americans were uh, bowled over by these reports of the Germans uh, impaling babies on bayonets, cutting the breasts off of Red Cross nurses. Uh, There was the story of the crucified Canadian, a Canadian soldier who'd actually been crucified by by the Germans. 
this was uh, the first time that a state had ever used the resources of mass suasion of propaganda to get an entire population to support uh, a war that they ordinarily wouldn't have supported ever uh, because the cause was an obscure one. It was really just a kind of imperial scramble. Different imperial powers were fighting with each other over Africa and places like that. But it was represented as a fight to um, make the world safe for democracy, to save civilization itself from the brutal Germans. And as I say, it can't be stressed strongly enough or repeatedly enough that it was a rousing success. During the war, a few journalists, a few American journalists actually made an effort to go over to Europe and follow the German army around and report on what they were actually doing. And they found, it's important to note, they found the German army was indeed uh, brutal. They functioned with brutal efficiency. So they didn't go over there and find that they were a bunch of hippies <laughs> handing out flowers, but they also found no evidence whatsoever to support any of those particular atrocity claims that were used so effectively. All right, so three journalists were basically spitting into the wind reported to their respective papers that this was all wildly exaggerated. It didn't make any difference. It wasn't until 10 years later when uh, a member of parliament named Arthur Ponsonby wrote a book called Lies in Wartime in which he carefully, meticulously cataloged each of these notorious claims and found that they had all been made up. And he explained how it had been done. He explained what the purpose of each propaganda drive was. And this had a huge effect on public opinion, both in Britain and in the United States. And people realized briefly that propaganda uh, was um, actually an extremely effective and very dangerous force. Hmm. So I, I thought that was good context. Sometimes it's easier to see that something is a lie when it's, you know, something a hundred years ago. Right. You know, you don't have that emotional reaction to it. And that emotional reaction to it is actually, should be a, a real telltale sign to yourself. Like if, if this news is making me upset, like actually upset, it's propaganda. Yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not true or that that cause is not just, but just that emotional reaction is caused by war propaganda. And this, um, this speech that he gave, and we'll play the second part here in a second, um, comes from a recent substack that he did that says, war propaganda works by making you too mad to stop and think that maybe it's not true. <laughs> So I have a question for you, just professional yeah. interests only. Uh, I know you have you have kids over there. I, I got kids here. Uh, were there six people coming in and out of his room, or was that one kid back and forth? Oh, the the door opening <laughs> and closing. I think people are going to hear this show. They're like, "Oh man, these guys with their audio." And it's like that's not even us. Yeah, that was the video. So he's, it's kind of hard to tell because the camera's just on him. But yeah, someone's coming in and out. And actually, while he's giving his speech, this um, 
philosophy professor from Fordham University starts like yelling at him. Nice. Because he, he's like, what do you mean Assad's not the worst person ever? He's killed 300,000 of his own people. And he's just, you know, I read it in the New York Times type thing, thereby proving everything that uh, Mark Crispin Miller says. But the, the second part is kind of in response to that. So just for context, that's why he's a little more fired up because he's had this guy yelling at him for a couple minutes. But Okay. All right, let's do it. Propaganda. This is war propaganda. What is the purpose of propaganda? Propaganda is not an intellectual exercise. Propaganda is a state instrument whose purpose is to bring about a particular policy. Okay? In this case, it's to bring about a policy of war. All right? Just as... All the stories about the invasion of Ukraine and the seizure of Crimea, which I have no doubt you also believe, the purpose of that propaganda is to bring on war with Russia. This is war propaganda. It is war propaganda. So that, okay, when you sign on and simply repeat it and and repeat it with vehemence and with conviction and with certainty, without bothering to look into it, without being skeptical of the source, which in this case is the U.S. government, okay, acting through the press, you are participating in a war propaganda drive. And I don't believe that you want to see us, maybe you do, declare a no-fly zone in Syria, run the risk of shooting down Russian planes, and bringing us past the brink of of a nuclear exchange with a country that has a huge arsenal of nuclear weapons. That's what we're talking about here, that this is war propaganda, okay? Now, uh, you know, I I, I think this is not to say in any way that the Assad regime is benign or democratic, okay? Any any more than to argue against the claim that Russia hacked the election is to say that Vladimir Putin is, is a peach, is your kindly uncle. That's not the point. I mean, we are not going to war with Saudi Arabia, which has an extremely uh, dangerous and violent government and violently represses its people. We're not going to war with Israel, whose human rights record is highly questionable. There's a lot of places with brutal governments we're not going to war with, okay? So the point to make here is that the way in which the U.S. press, our free press, consistently uh, repeats exactly what it's told by the state and has those claims re-echoed endlessly across the spectrum of the press, okay? And then excludes, excludes uh, contrary evidence, excludes critiques of the official story. In doing that, okay, it actually creates a kind of unanimity or uniformity of opinion that's directly comparable to the way the Germans responded in Berlin to everything they saw their newspapers say. I mean, not everybody has the time or the inclination to go around and read outside the boundaries of the official narrative. I mean, I'm a professor of media studies, so it's, a, it's my professional obligation to go and, and, and do this and teach my students how to do it, too. Don't simply believe what you read and hear just because the state said that it's true. And all these reports about Syria fall into that category. Let's not get uh, run down the same road we were run down in 2002, 2003. Well, that's actually, well, he's making a very good point, and then I'm going to, I should stop after this. I had, I had much else to say, but I, I again, I'm, Professor, I'm grateful for the, for the interruption, 
And I, I hope the audience is grateful for it too, because it was a productive interruption. You know, Hitler said that the receptivity of the masses is limited and their intelligence is small, but their power of forgetting is enormous. Okay? I don't often quote the, the Fuhrer, you know, it's not my favorite <laughs> author. But he knew what he was talking about. The people's power of forgetting is enormous. Now, we can't expect people to remember what happened in World War I. I mean, that to us is a comic memory from long ago when everybody moved real fast, you know. Uh, we can't expect people even to remember the Gulf of Tonkin re resolution that led to a, a, an enormous expansion of the war in Vietnam, and it was a, based on a lie, okay, that, that North Vietnamese gunboats had attacked American military forces. That was a lie. We can't expect people to remember something decades ago. We could, however, expect people, thinking people at least, to remember what happened in 2003 when we were told about the weapons of mass destruction. And when, let me add, there was the biggest anti-war march in human history all over the planet. Unprecedented numbers of people turned out and marched against that war. But maybe, if, you know, if we can't expect people to remember something that happened in 2003, we can expect them to remember something that happened in 2013 when we were suddenly told that there was a sarin gas attack on the Syrian people by Assad's government. Uh, Barack Obama hesitated to invade, as he had promised he would, if Assad crossed that red line. And what happened? Seymour Hersh revealed that that gas had been used by the rebels who had gotten it from the government of Turkey. Not a single US outlet would take that story by our most eminent investigative journalist. He had to publish it in the London Review of Books. Okay, About eight months later, that story was confirmed in every detail by the leading daily paper in Turkey, Zaman. Their investigative team looked into it, and it's true, Hirsch is right, Assad's government did not commit that atrocity. It was the rebels. It was what we call a false flag. Okay? Can we not remember that? That's not that long ago. But sure enough, the gas attack, or whatever it was, in Idlib recently, right, just a few months ago, people start screaming about, this is just like 2013. You know, even the journalists in the Times are saying, this is just like 2013, even though the Times itself had dropped the claim. They had a list of Assad's atrocities with the Idlib coverage, and the 2013 attack was missing from the list. So they had kind of retreated from that because it was a little bit embarrassing to them that Hirsch had shown it was bogus. Nevertheless, for propaganda purposes, it still served, okay? And the tragic thing about this, aside from the indescribable tragedy for the Syrian people, is that this time there is no huge outpouring of anti-war protest, okay? This is on the left. The left has bought into this. The White Helmets, you, you know, the White Helmets is, is a propaganda masterpiece that cost about $100 million. It has, been, it has been meticulously demolished by several journalists, including Vanessa Bealey, who's written, I think, a dozen pieces on it, John Pilger, uh, recently did a terrific interview about the White Helmets. The White Helmets is a jihadist enterprise, okay? These people are extremely dangerous, and they're posing as, uh, uh, you know, good citizens in Syria, saving the masses from Assad's brutal uh, uh, mistreatment, okay? Well, 
It's bad enough that the white helmets get mainstream coverage, but they also get admiring discussion on Democracy Now! The documentary is on Netflix, and it got an Academy Award. This documentary got an Academy Award, and it is, it is a fake from start to finish. Okay? So what we're talking about now is, is really kind of an advance on what we saw in Berlin in 1939, because now much of the left, much of the liberal media, Hollywood, okay, all these decidedly non-Nazi entities are simply jumping in, helping with the war propaganda when they should be exposing it and helping all the rest of us to resist it. Did you, did you fall asleep? No, I think you <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> no, he did. It was good. That was good. Uh, do you remember when this show started? That was what we were talking about? Like yeah. 2011, you and me <laughs> sitting down like, hey, let's talk about what's really going on. And it looks like there's, you know, weapons coming out of uh, Turkey and missing from different places and now they're ending up in Syria. And then shortly after that, it was the same Al Qaeda, but this was Al Qaeda in Levant or something. The, the good Al Qaeda, this was the good flavor. Remember the <laughs> not so bad flavor of Al Qaeda and uh, all those weapons were ending up in Libya. And we talked mm. about that. It was like, I was like the first, one of the first kind of uh, things that we latched onto and realized like, Hey, this is kind of weird. Hillary's most evil cackle. Yeah. Like the, the, the over here, they're like containers full of weapons have gone missing from this or such and such place. And then over here, they're like containers are showing up in Libya full of weapons. It's, oh, I wonder how that worked. Yeah. The whole Benghazi thing and all that. You know? Oh yeah. We came, we, we, we saw, saw he died. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and not, uh, not a, not a, not a, not a, uh, reason to look at what happened first thing they did there because, you know, they were all liberal. And so they got the Democrats to go with it. They actually convinced all the, the anti-war people, oh, we're against Bush. We're against this war. But it's like Obama's like, okay, I'm going to have a war. And they're like, that's great. You do what you got to do, man. Nobel prize. <laughs> You're black. You got, you can do whatever you want, man. And so he's like, okay, yeah, we'll go to war. We'll start with a no fly zone. He, even does that, he, does that sound familiar? Anybody? Even, well, even he didn't have, I guess, the level of evil necessary to full-on attack him after the fake, after the false flag gas attack, though. Yeah, and that's, that's true. A, you know, one thing. Yeah, that's, we, that, we always talk about the one well, thing he didn't do. <laughs> yeah. at, at least he didn't, uh, didn't full-on invade Syria and didn't go to war with Iran. My point still stands, though. The, we made a no-fly zone over Syria, and then we made a no-fly zone over Libya. That mm-hmm. does turned out well. I feel like yeah, and they, yeah. they're talking about no-fly zone over over Ukraine. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. I mean, looking back at history, I think no-fly zone over Ukraine. I think that the destabilization of if you destabilized Ukraine the way we destabilized Libya, I think that the the repercussions worldwide are catastrophic yeah that's you know it's a geography thing yeah 
This is, and I think the plan is, you know, if, if you go from the standpoint that Putin, World Economic Forum, you know, the Biden administration, the people that run the Biden administration, not Joe Biden, uh, are all on the same team, this situation makes more sense. Yeah. So it, so we'll see, you know, but is Putin getting double-crossed with this, all this, um, you know, pretty devastating economic warfare when there's millions of Russians starving to death? Is it, you know, what's going to happen? Is he going to? Well, there's no, there's no, there's no diamond. There's no, there's no uh, sanctions on diamonds. There's no sanctions on luxury handbags. There's no. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not on... worried about Putin. Okay, ah, okay. this is not, not. He is not the Russian I'm worried about. Ah, okay. Uh, more so, you know the. No, those are the it, sanctions for Russia. I guess we were supposed to forget about the fact there's a lot of Christians in Russia too, but uh, there are. You know. It's, yeah, it's a good. Good point. Yeah. I saw somewhere some sort of like. Don't let the uh, conservative Christian Putin kill these Muslim Ukrainians. I thought, well, first off, this sounds like propaganda, clearly. Second off, that, I'm not even sure that makes sense. I, I should, probably should have looked no. into it further. <laughs> uh, no, definitely doesn't make sense <laughs> either. Yeah. Well, I uh, wanted to play a very short clip. It. Uh, I caught this this week. I uh, never bring clips from this place because, well, that'll be obvious. Let's choke our way through this and uh, see. I apologize ahead of time for playing a clip from CNN. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. But I'm preparing everybody. Wash your ears. Sit. Sit. Sit down. Don't be standing when this hit clip hits. I want the rage to hit all at once. <laughs> the Russian president has spent eight years, John, trying to build this fortress balance sheet, this fortress economy, while he can go off on his Ukraine invasion and be safe at home. In a weekend, the West has cut that off and paralyzed that fortress economy. Global markets, you can see uh, Europe has opened sharply lower here. This is really following from a rally rebound on Friday. So, so I wouldn't pay too much attention there to Asia, but look at U.S. futures. You're going to see a tough day. It is the ramifications of isolating this huge energy producer, right? And what could happen with the banking system around the world as you're trying to isolate Russian banks out of the system. Oil, incredibly important market here as well. We've seen big jumps in oil prices. That's going to feed into the global inflation story. Here's your Russian stock exchange. It's closed right now. It's closed for a reason. The central bank in Russia closed it because it would open down big. It would be here, yeah. or here, or here. And look, and the central bank has been sanctioned by the EU and by the U.S. I mean, this basically cripples the country's ability to finance this war, which is exactly what the Europeans and the Americans want to do. This is not just an energy in a, you know, your 401k. Okay, so we're one minute, five seconds in. Don't say anything because I already know. It's terrible. But... Listen, we're one minute, five seconds in, okay? They've they've teed it up. They've set it up. Putin's down in a weekend. We're isolating this large country. And here comes the swing, okay? 
It's okay. gonna it's gonna knock this thing out of the park. And this is the reason for the story. And this is the reason for I think a lot of what's happening right now. Do this is not just an energy in a you know your four hundred one k story as well. This is uh, about the supplies of energy to the EU. This is not just about your four hundred one k. You, it's a huge entwined geopolitical story there, and all these commodities from Russia and from the Ukraine, by the way, all of this could feed into that global inflation story we've talked about. We have supply chains that are going to be- oh the global inflation story. It has to mm. do with Ukraine. It yeah. doesn't have to do with the fact that we've pl- printed $50 trillion over the last <laughs> couple of years. The global inflation story is the fault of Ukraine. Next up, she says supply chain. Well, I thought you and I were talking about supply chains back when I worked at Range Rover in Seattle in early 2020, talking about people not being able to get polyurethane for their skateboard wheels. That time traveling Putin, And man. all kinds of <sighs> supply chain problems that were caused by the lockdowns that have been taking place in Western countries. But now, in one minute and 22 seconds, they're going to blame everything from CNN that's happening <laughs> on Ukraine. The, the Mark Crispin Miller quoting, you know, Hitler's famous quote about the the power of the people to forget is is un- amazing. It know? is. It is amazing. Uh, so she's she's going to say, oh, we whooped his butt. It all happened in a weekend. They're, like, they're stuck. Forget they're, COVID lockdowns. Their they're stock market's down and looks like this might have supply chain shortages and it might be a reason <laughs> for inflation. Oh, really? Because I feel like that was already here. You idiots. Well, inflation story we've talked about. We have supply chains that are going to be more snarled and we have questions about how. Snarled. Snarled. Not shut down by governments worldwide, especially Western ones. Right. Snarled. Because of Ukraine. European and Western uh, purchasers of these goods are going to be able to pay for them if indeed the world is going to isolate Vladimir Putin. And if the if the Russian economy has a panic, it is on the edge of financial uh, of financial ruin in near term here. And- so if they have a panic, it could spill over into here, too. Don't worry about what we did for the last two years. This is actually Putin has really messed things up. So just want to make sure everybody's two minutes hate are focused on the right person. Right. And, you know, I, th- I thought the clip they played on No Agenda with Matt Lee talking to the State Department about the exemptions in the sanctions. That's what I was just talking about. Yeah. There's yeah. like, yeah. Did you look at the exemptions? There's like so, no no luxury handbags, diamonds aren't exempt. Like there's all <laughs> kinds of stuff. So the, I think it's interesting because it's a perfect way you know, it's a win-win for Putin Everybody. and the yeah. and the West. Yeah. You know, the only the select corporations get to continue doing business. You take out your, you take out your competitors. Yeah, no, it's you a know, win-win. Lehman for- Lehman Brothers of two thousand eight, twenty twenty-two edition. So. Yeah, I mean, but. Yeah, it's not there yet, but it's good for Putin and the powers that be in each of these countries. Even even Zelenko with his photo ops. These you kind of have to realize that their mindset is they would rather have, you know, ten million dollars worth of wealth and no one else have any than them have a hundred million dollars and lots of people have. 50 million. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the mindset. They, they don't want, they want you starving in the street, eating bugs. And that's like the, the goal. Like, how do we get to there? 
it's not like how do we build the you know win-win economy and everyone does well no 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 no. this is how do we control everything shut everything down and eliminate competition in the you know eliminate retail eliminate everything except amazon and and walmart and then whatever putin what what company do you want to still be able to operate you know Gazprom. So, uh, what we were just talking a couple of weeks ago with our good friend James Corbett about them not being able to control the narrative anymore, and they're in a in a tough situation. Have we been proven wrong pretty quickly here? I feel like they've I, I, the narrative, or is there enough people who are just like this is baloney? Oh, I think there's a lot of people that either already know it's baloney or will very quickly realize that it's baloney almost to the point where I think you got to get a layer beyond that Um, because it's, you know, that only gets you to, Oh, well maybe, well maybe Putin's the good guy. And then you're on to like, Putin's just, he's trying to stop the next bioweapons release by blowing up the, (laughs) the labs. He's attacking the labs. He's a hero stopping the next COVID. Yay. Putin, you know, like, no, this is, I did a little dig. I did a little digging. Yeah. I found the location of all the bio labs in Ukraine. So did you match it up with the, (laughs) all these precision guided bombing attacks? (laughs) It's a new layer on Google Maps, Andrew. You just the, the, oh yeah, <laughs> weapons <laughs> labs layer. Yeah, <laughs> find weapons uh, bio weapons labs near me. <laughs> Put the push pin on the weapons lab. <laughs> oh no, well, is, there are no good guys. That's a, you know that's well, there's no good guys in power. Yeah. There are some good guys, and I know a there's few. Good, there's good guys. We, we, should, we should stop and thank a few of the good guys. <laughs> yes, we should stop and thank them and um, commiserate with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's not looking real, real promising the next few years here. But. Mm, that's, that's what you're saying? That's where we're at? Yeah, well... Should we do some comic relief? Uh, yeah. Before, before cleanse we thank it. people, or yeah. or after. Let's do let's let's cleanse the palate now, and then we can get into thank people, and then okay. we'll we'll roll right out on a high note. So if you if you ever wondered, you know, how did Klaus Schwab get in a position of of power? Like, what what is his connection to the New World Order infrastructure? I think this clip, um, which is kind of tough with the audio, just know that he's talking to a bunch of different people. This is clips of him talking from a bunch of different interviews. So anyway. Henry Kissinger, um, which really opened my eyes. I wasn't accepted to the seminar, but I sat in. I think he let me in because I was German, and uh, and it was relatively shortly after the war. So there were not too many Germans here, and uh, this created a friendship which has um, uh, endured until today. And uh, you know, uh, Henry has been several times in in Davos, 
I met for the first time Henry Kissinger. And I met at the Kennedy School, I met Henry Kissinger. And Henry Kissinger changed my life because he evoked my interest for political issues. So without having been here um, and having spent this year here, I wouldn't be what I am. I have met practically every leader in the last 40 years. And uh, there were only three or four leaders who really made a lasting impression on me. And another one was my teacher at Harvard 50 years ago, Professor Henry Kissinger. I'm delighted to see you, Dr. Kissinger, on the screen. And for me, it's a very moving moment. Thank you so much for making yourself available to discuss with the audience here in Davos, with which you are quite uh, familiar. I think that uh, President Xi's speech was of fundamental significance. It laid out a concept for globalization in the construction of an international order. Of how we can really create, I would say, a new world order. I feel uh, we should be very grateful to you, Henry. I would like to thank you very much. I would like to thank you personally also for the 50-year-long mentorship and uh, all the advice you have given me. Thank you, and we appreciate it very much. Please join me. <laughs> so, yeah, we're not going to thank Henry Kissinger, but we do have some people to thank. <laughs> You think Henry like stood back like a room full of? I know. mean, it'd be a little embarrassing to have someone just slobbering over you like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, hit, uh, early on, Henry Kessinger steps back, looks at a room full of, uh, I don't know, uh, wannabe technocrats and lizards and uh, oh, the German one. The Germans yeah. are always good for this sort of thing. <laughs> Is there a German one with a voice as disturbed? Illegitimate child of Hitler in the room? (laughs) Is there a with like a a voice almost almost as disturbing as my own? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this kid'll work. (laughs) His name's Klaus. Oh, perfect. Some some early male pattern baldness looks like it's going to completely go bald at some point. We're, we like this guy. Hey, I don't I don't even know what that last joke was about, buddy. But I'm <laughs> I'm offended over here. Get some uh, early male pattern baldness for you. Can't all have beautiful heads of hair, Andrew. I wouldn't know what a beautiful head of hair would be like. Yeah, full head of hair then. You have a full head of hair. Hey, man, I've. If there's one thing I can do, it's grow hair. It's where, <laughs> where I want it or don't want it. So it's. Revelations Radio News uh, has decided to be a solely listener supported podcast. <laughs> this means the listeners contribute to the show both financially and through volunteerism. If you feel you're getting value from this show, please help us by becoming a supporter. We help. We continue. Excuse me. We count on you to make this work. Ugh. <sighs> trying to get rid of some mental pictures over here. <laughs> uh, first off, I don't even have to open the spreadsheet. I just want to thank Danny Conley, or excuse me, 
just want to thank da- Danny from Medford, Oregon. Uh, thank you, Danny. Oh, and I opened the spreadsheet, and there he is. Thank you, Danny. I appreciate you greatly for supporting this show every single week with $25. Thank you, sir. Uh, next up, we got John, our friend from Swallowfield, Berkshire, UK. And then uh, we have another listener, Chris. Chris is from, uh, I should know this, and I was going to open the other spreadsheet to look up where he is from. He is from, I want to say Kansas City, Missouri, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, He donated 25, so thank you, sir. And then uh, Miss Emily donated her monthly 10. And I think uh, Chris is his, uh, actually, Danny does his, I think, by hand after every episode. But other than that, these other three are subscriptions. And I did get one more in the P.O. box. So we got finally got one in the P.O. box. And that was from Nevada, Iowa. Our good friend Luke. Uh, him and his wife have subscribed five bucks a month. So we got five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, 25 bucks a month, and 10 bucks a month. So all subscribers, one from the U.K., everybody else from the Midwest. I think. I'm not sure. I can't remember where Emily's from. But, uh, yeah. Thank you guys for living in the Midwest and subscribing. To yeah, we're two, two things that help. Yes, <laughs> good good people here in the Midwest. They are. They're, they're nice. nice. I mean, only you would understand this. Like people elsewhere may, uh, they might. But like the other day, I went to the gym early. Okay, I'm out of the gym. I'm on my way home, and I stop at the gas station. I go in the door, and I come out the door. And it's one of those awkward situations where, like, the guy opens the door, and I'm standing there. Like, it's the we're both trying to use the door at the same time. So, the, in in uh, in the Pacific Northwest, this would end up being like I would awkwardly stare at him. He would awkwardly stare at me, or try to avert eye contact altogether. He would maybe utter a "ugh," and then you know we have to try to, like <laughs> mo- we have to try to like move by each other without you know. Like a passive aggressive. Still six feet apart. Yeah. Like a passive aggressive. <laughs> no, you, no, you, no, you. And nobody does anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This guy just opens the, like, there's the weird, like the awkward moment for like a half second. And he op- holds the door way open and steps back and just says, good morning. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is a good, good morning. morning. Good yeah. morning, sir. How was, and you know, he was like a blue collar looking dude on his way to his job in Look like you might be able to crush, squash me like a bug, but you know, he said good morning to me at six in the morning. I mean, it's morning, early, saying hi to strangers. That's something you don't you don't see that sort of thing in the Northwest. Yeah. I remember a day in the Northwest when we when we said hi to each other, but those days went away with the masks. Yeah, they definitely went away with the masks. I, I you know. You you remember further back than I do clearly, uh, because you were up there so, for so much longer. But I, I don't remember too many saying hello to Ah. Emily lives in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Uh, I don't remember too many saying hi to strangers in the in the Northwest. But I did live in Seattle. It's not like I lived in yeah a, Seattle. It's a little bit different, more advanced version. Yeah of yeah. So. And Chris is from Edgerton, Missouri, not from Kansas city. So yeah, maybe he would be insulted by that. Yeah, he might be. So Edgerton by far superior. Do you you know where Edgerton is at all? No, I've (laughs) 
Never been to either place, but <laughs> yeah. There we go. I was right though. She is. Well, Colorado is not really the Midwest, is it? What are we calling Colorado? That's a neighboring state, right? Yeah, but this isn't. I mean, Oklahoma's barely the Midwest. It's always like it's always a toss up between the Midwest and the South. Anyway, <clears throat> well, as long as you know the the one that really bothers me is Northwestern University being located in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I was on. actually I was really confused about that as a kid too. I'm like, have so some wh- have some foresight. I mean, there's a whole big landmass over there. The, the northwest <laughs> might shift a little bit. <laughs> have some <laughs> foresight. That's funny, man. I like that. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, no wonder they're bad at football. Yeah, they were good in like the '90s, but not really anymore. All right. All right. It's getting late. You got anything you want to throw in there? I've kind of been hogging the time here. Yeah, that's fine. I had this. Oh, this was sent to us by our uh, audio editor uh, friend. And uh, everybody probably heard it, but it's probably at least... uh, Something we should take note of. Uh, not often we, not, not often. More and more, we're hearing this on the uh, on on the news. The uh, what used to be a conspiracy theory. For the rest of us that aren't Ukrainians, I think the world, quite frankly, Kira, is surprised by the will of the Ukrainian people to stand up and fight. Are you? Well, I'm not surprised. I uh, we have been fighting uh, Putin for the last eight years. And we had three revolutions in our country when we did not agree with what was going on with uh, the direction of where we're moving in. But right now, it's a critical time because we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this new world order for the democratic countries. We knew that we are the shield for the Europe. Oh, yeah, the shield for the Europe. Shield for the Europe. Indeed. Well, at least they know they are, but... Do they know that they're uh, the pawn that gets taken out for Europe? Is that? <laughs> did anyone give them that memo? Like, yes. hey, hey, this doesn't this doesn't go well for you guys. Just so you know. Yeah. The old Russian is Russian invasion of Ukraine is uh, the next step of the Great Reset. Yeah. Yes, it is definitely the next stage of the great reset and you know the fighting you you fight back enough and you give russia an excuse to or even necessity in some ways of leveling the country instead of just i guess pulling an afghanistan move and just leaving town but right i am going to read an article this is an uh, an article that came to me from uh, my brother-in-law, and uh, I had no idea this was still going on, but this will have new importance to you, Andrew. Okay. And uh, this is from the Epoch Times. The FBI's operation to infiltrate right-wing extremist groups lie at the center of the transparency lawsuit. 
An FBI right-wing infiltration operation tangled in allegations of witness tampering, evidence suppression, and connections to... What am I going to say, Andrew? What, is, what am I going to say? I don't know. The Oklahoma City bombing has been exposed oh, okay. through one man's unprecedented Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the U.S. government. And the case isn't over yet. Utah attorney, and I know you've heard him before. He was on Alex Jones many times. What's his name? I don't know, Tim. You don't remember? No, I remember the, I don't remember his name. Jesse Trinidou, 2006. Oh, yes. Trinidou. Yeah, Trinidou's. Because F- his brother was the one killed because they thought he was. Uh, John Doe John two. Doe number, John yeah. Doe number two. Yeah. I knew you knew. I just had to trigger that memory. Utah attorney. I had no idea this was still going on. Utah Attorney Jesse Trinidou's 2006 Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the FBI and CIA for Oklahoma City bombing records is indeed still an open matter, having been sealed and litigated behind closed doors since 2015 over witness tampering allegations. Trinidou's case is unprecedented, according to Judicial Watch. It's rare for a Freedom of Information Act to go to trial and even rarer for one to entail allegations as serious as witness tampering, according to Judicial Watch senior investigator Sean Dunigan. We're one of the largest uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, litigants in this country, and we've never been involved with anything that involves the degree of alleged misconduct by the FBI, Dunigan said. It's astounding. Trinidad declined to comment on the sealed aspects of the case, including when the litigation might conclude. However, he did agree to an interview about the events leading up to 2015. He also provided the Epoch Times with access to a trove of court documents, transcripts, and other records that show details about the federal government's domestic counterterrorism operations. His records describe an FBI program known as Patriot Conspiracy, or PATCON, a secret operation to infiltrate right-wing and domestic extremism groups. PATCON has been in the public... Uh, record for years, described in detail by historian Wendy Painting's 2016 doctoral thesis turned book, Aberration of the Heartland, in the Heartland of the Real. But PatCon has received little media attention outside of the late journalist Will Grigg. Other mm. than, isn't that something? No, I miss Will Grigg. I do no. too. I do. I miss Will Grigg as well. Other journalists have attempted to cover PatCon only to run into censorship issues. The reason for the alleged attempts to suppress PatCon are clear. According to Trinidou, <clears throat> the FBI's real objective in PatCon had been to infiltrate and incite those fringe groups to violence. The FBI has declined to comment on this story. Uh, Trinidad started seeking Oklahoma City bombing records from the FBI in the early 2000s. The Utah attorney believes that the U.S. government is suppressing surveillance footage of the Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh with an unidentified accomplice on the morning of April 19, 1995, on the day of the bombing. Trinidad also believes that he is that it is connected to his brother's murder. The reasons for Trinidad's beliefs are complex and have received numerous book-length treatments. But to summarize, 24 witnesses told the FBI they saw McVeigh. Uh, with someone during the morning of the attack and none were used by the government during the trial. The FBI initially released sketches and appealed to the public for help in finding the mysterious John No. 2, only later to deny the man ever existed. Uh, fun fact, I was a paper boy in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and <laughs> rolled the paper with the two people's faces on the front. Uh that had John Doe one and John Doe two, like artists, artist sketches of it. I can remember seeing John Doe number two on the evening news. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sat there and I had 110 papers or something, 112. And I sat there and cause you could basically 
you can read the front page of the paper. You just have to look at the same because it stacks the right way, right? You can mm-hmm. just read it as you roll it and just, you know, as you roll it, you just read the next paper. But yeah, I remember rolling it and like literally seeing pick two pictures of two different people. Then it was revealed in 2004 the U.S. Secret Service had conducted its own investigation of the Oklahoma City bombing that was separate from the FBI's. A Secret Service document on the investigation shocked observers with the following statements. Secret videotapes from the area around the Alfred P. Murrah building show the truck detonation three minutes and six seconds after the suspects entered the, excuse me, exited the truck. So supporting suspicions by many, the McVeigh indeed had an accomplice and that there exists several uh, surveillance footage that confirms this. The Alfred P. Murrah building uh, in the first five seconds of the implosion, Oklahoma City on April 19th. Oh, that was a caption, my bad. Uh, with McVeigh's one known accomplice, Terry Nichols, who's serving life behind bars for providing assistance to McVeigh, confirmed to have been in Kansas on the day of the bombing. The possibility, the possible identity of the man seen with McVeigh on April 19th, 1995, remains subject of debate. Seeking to solve this mystery, Trinidu used the Secret Service memo to help underpin his FOIA lawsuits against the FBI. For its part, the FBI said the Secret Service investigation was riddled with errors. While there were video cameras on the Mil- uh, on the Murrah building, they weren't looking on the day of the attack, or excuse me, they weren't working on the day of the attack, according to the U.S. government. Similar to the ones that aren't working on the Pentagon and the ones that were working in Epstein's... Oh, I'm sorry, I made that up. Yeah. Uh, the, Secret, the Secret Service also uh, walked back its memo saying that agents never actually saw the surveillance footage of the Oklahoma City bombing and that some of the conclusions in the investigation were unconfirmed. Trinidu and the U.S. government argued these points and others for years as their case crawled toward an eventual trial in 2014. Then they got an unexpected call. Leading up to the trial, someone ex- uh, unexpected happened. something unexpected happened in 2011. Trinidu was contacted by a former federal informant named John Matthews. A U.S. Marine, Matthews had worked as a federal asset throughout the 1990s on FBI's PATCON operations. Matthews had been following Trinidu's case and became infuriated when he saw the FBI had released some records to Trinidu that identified him as an informant. All of those years, I've been a good boy and kept my mouth shut, Matthews said in 2011, explaining his decision to go public. Then you, the FBI, released my name. What kind of... Uh, Crap is this. <laughs> Matthews told Trinidu all about PatCon, from selling guns to domestic extremists for FBI sting operations to sitting in on meetings by white supremacists about attacking a nuclear plant in Alabama. He told me he had been to the FBI. Uh, he'd been told by the FBI that the purpose of PatCon was to infiltrate and to monitor activities of extreme right political, ex- extreme political right consisting of organizations such as the Ku Klux Klan and the various neo-Nazi groups, but that he no longer believed what he had been told by the FBI about the purpose of PatCon, Trinidu said in a sword declaration in court. Mr. Mr. Matthews told me that based upon his experience, he now believed the FBI's real objective in PatCon had been to infiltrate and to incite these fringe groups into violence. Matthew's most jolting claim was that he saw McVeigh in 94 with a German national named Andy Strassmeyer, who appears in the CIA records in relation to the Oklahoma City bombing investigation. Mr. Matthews even told me prior to the Oklahoma City bombing he had seen McVeigh in the German national by the name of Andreas Strassmeyer at a militia training facility near San Saba, Texas, Trinidu said in his sworn declaration. According to Mr. Matthews, he had reported the McVeigh-Strassmere sighting to the FBI and was told by the FBI that the Bureau had been aware of this fact 
which indicated Mr. Matthews and others within the FBI were monitoring McVeigh on the run-up to the attack on the federal building. With former uh, alcohol bureau... So does Strassmeyer look like, if I'm remembering the story, look like Trinity's brother? I can't remember if that's the guy who looks like his brother, Strassmeyer. Uh, You might be right, though. Hold on. Let me... I remember I remember exactly what Trinity's brother looks like, if I could just find Strassmeyer. But anyway, with former Bureau of Alcohol ATF and explosive informant Carol Howe on the record saying that she dated Strassmeyer in the early 90s, the revelation from Matthews put McVeigh within two degrees separation from a real federal, excuse me, a known federal informant. Trinity and his friend Roger Charles, a nationally acclaimed journalist who also worked a brief stint as the investigator on McVeigh's defense team, connected with Matthews with journalists at Newsweek to tell his story. Trinity and Matthews expected their information would result in a media frenzy that would rock the country, but the Newsweek published but Newsweek published its article about Matthews on November 11th, 2011. The former informant was dismayed to find the most uh, damning secrets unreported. Mr. Matthews was upset with the Newsweek story, Trinidu said in a sworn declaration for his FOIA case. He expressed to me he felt betrayed because all Newsweek has done was expose him to possible retribution from various groups that he had infiltrated as a part of PatCon without exposing PatCon. Exposing the FBI's wrongdoings through mainstream media was apparently not an option. However, Trinidu, I can't imagine why. However, Trinidu had not had another idea for Matthews to testify at the upcoming F, uh, Freedom of Information Act trial. The two agreed Matthews would help Trinidu make his uh, case in court while receiving the benefit and being able to tell his story in court without media censorship. Uh, and this just keeps going. Uh, Trinidu's trial. The trial of Jesse Trinidu versus the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency Federal Bureau of Investigation et al. happened in Utah over a four-day period from July 28th uh, to July 31st, 2014. Matthews never testified. According to Trinidu and Charles, the FBI intimidated Matthews into abandoning his plan to testify. The, F- the Epoch Times interviewed Charles on February 7th before he tragically died a week later. John told me he didn't want to end up another homeless Vietnam veteran, he said. With Matthews off the grid, Charles... Wait, wait. And- Can you read that part again? Yeah. It, it doesn't give me a date, though. So it says the Epoch Times interviewed Charles on February 7th before he tragically died a week later. Well, that'd be February 14th, but... Yeah, I'm looking for the year, though, because this was a trial back in... Hmm. Yeah, did he just die? That's what we're saying. And who who died? The Matthews guy? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, back... Uh, Trinidu and Charles, the FBI... and uh, excuse me, according to Trinidad and Charles, the FBI intimidated Matthews into abandoning his plan to testify. Epoch Times interviewed Charles on February 7th before he tragically died a week later. John told me he didn't want to end up another homeless Vietnam veteran, he said. With Matthews off the grid, Charles and Trinidad both delivered signed declarations to the court in August of 2014. Charles said he received a phone call on July 30th, 2014, the night before Matthews was set to testify. John Matthews said he had been told by the FBI to stand down. John Matthews also said he had been told by the FBI to take a vacation so that he could not be subpoenaed. Charles said in his August 7th, uh, 2014 sworn declaration to the court. He likewise said that the Bureau had made it very clear to him that if he did testify, it would result in loss of veterans' health coverage and veterans' disability pension. 
Trinidad's declaration says he spoke with Matthews after his phone call with Charles, and the conversation revealed more specifics of the FBI's coercion tactics against Matthews, according to the Utah attorney's declaration. During that conversation, Mr. Matthews related to me the events leading up to the, his refusal to testify, including the name of the FBI agent who had contacted him, Adam Twerk, Adam Quirk, Trinidad said in his declaration. According to Mr. Matthews, the FBI agent Quirk had called him several times, telling them that it would be best for everyone if he did not testify. Agent Quirk told Mr. Matthews to take a vacation so that he could not be subpoenaed, and if he was subpoenaed, that Mr. Matthews should answer questions put to him about PatCon with, I don't recall. The FBI vigorously denied Charles and Trinidad's allegations of witness tampering, and the Bureau obtained an August 2, 2014 email from Matthews to both parties in the Freedom of Information Act dispute. In there, Matthews said he declined to testify, and on the advice of his friend and former handler, retired FBI agent Don Jarrett. Like we both agree, I had nothing to do with Oklahoma City bombing or the tapes. I did not want to testify, and I did not want to get caught in the crossfire with both sides, Matthew wrote. If I took a trip, no one else would find me to uh, to give a subpoena to. Don told me we should inform the FBI in Salt Lake City and let them know where I was going. And if, uh, according to Matthews, that's why he was contacted by Agent Quirk. I told him of what he had talked about. He agreed with me that there was no subpoena and I did not have to show up. It was my understanding that he was going to go to court and I was not showing up. In his email, Matthews confirmed that he spoke with Trinity and Charles. I told him I was not going to testify. Matthews emphasized in all capital letters, no one from the FBI or DOJ made any threats to me or my family. The FBI also obtained a sworn declaration from Jarrett. According to Jarrett, Matthews was called July 14, expressing concerns about testifying. <laughs> um would you put it in caps? <laughs> it's all, yeah, all caps. All caps. Hmm. That's not a <laughs> signal. Yeah. Yeah. Everything right. is totally fine. No one's threatening me or anything like that. Yeah. I'm almost, there's literally like a half a page left. So here we go. On April 30th, 2014, Wildups appointed a separate magistrate judge, a special, uh, a special master to investigate the witness tampering allegations. The special master was assigned to collect an internal report of the allegations from the FBI, along with copies of all the recorded information between Matthews and the FBI and reports of any of reports prepared of, of interviews with Matthews and any other records related to the matter. The special matter special master shall attend the depositions of Mr. Matthews and Mr. Don Jarrett and agent quirk and others as relevant as well as Trinidad and Charles, in which point the parties will be able to cross examine these individuals as to matters relevant to the witness tampering allegations. What said, um, upon this conclusion of the investigation mass, the special master shall prepare a report and recommendation, including proposed findings of, fact and conclusions of law, specifically the allegations of the witness tampering involving Mr. Matthews. Seven years later, the special Matthew, or excuse me, the special master has yet to issue his report and recommendations. Wildups is reserving his decision on the July 2014 trial until the witness tampering matter is resolved. With the court uh, ordered inquiry taking place behind closed doors, there's no indication of when that may be. Even if Trinidad wins a judgment in his favor, it is clear what the outcome would look like. He seeks to depose FBI agents and search physical archives, but the FBI has said in court briefings that the court doesn't have the power to provide that kind of remedy demanded by Trinidad, suggesting that the Bureau would appeal any judgment against it. Such an appeal could extend the litigation for years. Dunigan, the senior investigator for Judicial Watch, says he's surprised the case has gotten this far. It's a very good 
for Jesse that his case is not being litigated in D.C. If this case were litigated in D.C., it would have been closed years ago, he said. Judges in D.C. have a lot more deference to agencies, particularly when it comes to declassification of law enforcement record. Uh, Matthews did not uh, respond to multiple requests for comment. Newsweek also didn't respond for any requests to comment. Wait, Matthews? I thought Matthews was... Who who died? Uh, so it wasn't Matthews. It said it was Matthews, right? According to Matthews, that's why the FBI agent... That's why he was contacted by FBI agent Quirk. His email. I mean, Matthew, if he's, Matthews if he's, never testified. The Epoch Times interviewed Charles on February 7th. Uh, he tragically Char- died a week Charles, later. Charles, who's that? Isn't his name Charles Matthews? Oh my gosh. No, John Matthews. Yeah. Ah, uh, Roger Charles. Trying to do and his oh, friend, okay. Roger Charles, a nationally acclaimed journalist. There we go. There we mm. go. At least we finally figured that out. Yeah. FBI figures to Charles and Trinidad's allegations. Anyway, this led me down a bit of a rabbit hole of memories. And there was a great documentary called A Noble Lie, which I haven't had a chance to look at recently. Remember that one? Did you ever look at that one? Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think I sent it to you on a thumb drive. <laughs> that, that's possible. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know if I still have the thumb drive. I might. No, you don't. I, I, I don't. I don't care if you still have it. But and that led me down to another thing, which was uh, and this this recommendation will be in the show notes. It shows how far James Corbett has come. But there was the 2010 episode. I think it's like 140 of the Corbett Report, Requiem for the Suicided Terrence Yakey. Mm, yeah, and, with the the cop. Yeah, yeah, the cop, first cop on the scene. Uh, yeah. He's an Oklahoma City police officer, shows up on the scene, uh, discovers something very strange underneath the uh, the nursery or the daycare where the kids were kept in the federal building and wants to go back and take pictures, uh, is not allowed to take pictures, and about a year later is found, uh, he committed suicide. But he the thing about Terrence Yakey, he committed suicide in a totally different way than most people do, Andrew. What he did was he cut himself numerous times on uh, his arm to make so that he would bleed, I suppose. And then he slashed his throat twice. And then he locked his keys and his knives and some razor blades all in a glove box in his car and locked his car and then crawled a mile and a half and then leaned up against the fence post and shot himself in the head twice. So he is one of those, this is one of those weird suicides, you know, that's like, Oh, this guy really must have had a lot of energy the day he committed suicide. Right. Yep. Or maybe he was being interrogated by somebody who was telling him to drop it and he refused because he seemed to be a stubborn son of a gun. He was on track to become an FBI agent. He had won all kinds of awards, including the Valor Award. He had the key to El Reno. He was... uh, by all accounts, a great police officer, but he had this one problem is he wrote a nine page report uh, about him showing up. On, he's not even supposed to be there, by the way. The only reason Terrence Yakey is on the scene at the Oklahoma City bombing, and he's literally the first person that arrives is because he's driving by. He ha- That's his beat. That's where he's supposed to be. And he's just driving by and shows up. And lo and behold, 
ATF agents show up there a whole lot faster than they should have, and they're digging through mm-hmm. the rubble right along with them, but they don't seem to be looking for people. Uh, yeah. It's, I can play uh, clips. I can play some clips from that at the, maybe on the next show, but uh, there's a VCR. All the t- and by the way, all the surveillance tapes downtown on the Miller, Murrah building, they don't, they don't, they don't operate during that, that morning. And this whole thing stinks to high heaven. And, uh, you know, later Bill Clinton says, if it wasn't for Oklahoma City bombing, I don't know if I would have got reelected. Oh, good. <laughs> at least convenient for you, Bill. Yeah. At least we, at least that was done. So anyway, uh, we've been looking at this stuff for years and it just triggered one thing that led me to another thing and an ep- excellent episode of, uh, of the Corbett report. Do you remember though? He used to do now for the real news and then like the do a weekly breakdown and, and all that before his episodes. Yeah. I mean, the, there's some parts that have stayed the same all the way back. Well, I remember new world next week used to have to be 10 minutes max. So they'd be, rushing through to i remember that too that wasn't even that that was kind of when i first discovered him and in this episode he's talking about and we've started another website called newworldnextweek.com anyway uh, we've been listening to james for a long time he's been doing good work requiem for the suicided uh danny castellaro is a great show but the uh the terrence yakey one uh, also really good. So while we're on the throwback, yeah, you sent me a video Uh-oh. from Kevin. Never good. <laughs> of, Oh uh, yeah. Did of you nine 11 and you I assumed I knew what it was and I'm like, Oh, I've seen it. And then, so there's, there's been developments, but why don't you describe it? Oh, there and has then, definitely been developments. Are you talking about the, uh, the comment? By the person who left it? Well, the the claim by Kevin, yes. Yeah. I posted this video in 2001, but accidentally left it private for 20 years. Um, yeah. And uh, YouTube started in what year, Tim? <laughs> yeah, it's... So, I guess I'll tell people. I sent... Andrew, uh, uh, as the Ukraine war started, I'm like, hey, check this out. New video of September 11th. And immediately, Andrew says, I've seen it. And I waited. I looked high and low. And I said, Andrew, I don't, I, I found that hard to believe. I have never seen this. And I've, I would challenge that I've watched just as much 9 11 stuff as you have. I've never seen this angle. And he's like, oh, I think it, you still, I think it's a different angle. I've referenced that it's actually probably the same boat that the other famous video came from. And you can even hear the same lady scream in that boat. So I think it's somebody who's nearby, right? But then would you like to read the new developments about the, uh, the videos? uh, So just, it just nine 11 Kevin's video, right? This is uh, from Kevin Wesley. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, racked up 500,000 views since it was posted on, I don't even know how many views it's got now, but uh, 24th of February. So this is right as Ukraine is kicking off, and they've got this video with the best video. It's so clear. So clear. Like, 
you know, it looks like it was shot with an iPhone yesterday. Yeah. Not, yeah. not whatever we were doing in 2001. So you Hand see the plane perfectly. They, then they like just, just perfectly parrot the official story. <laughs> like it's crazy. Yeah. yeah the, that's crazy how that United plane who calls that United Plane? So the new development is the uh, description. And here's the official story of this description that's been, been posted by Kevin Wesley. I posted this video in 2001 to YouTube. <laughs> but accidentally left it private for 20 years. I gave <laughs> I gave a Sunday service on the kinda, scout. Kind of weird. No one ever watches my 9-11 videos. <laughs> like the most amazing footage ever. I gave it's a so Sunday. weird. People always watching all this other grainy junk gas station two frames here and there. No one wants to see my perfect video with 20 years from now technology. Uh, bro, I for real don't understand how that Pentagon video has more views than my video. <laughs> There's literally just a vapor trail from a missile and then an explosion. Oh, wait. <laughs> I gave a Sunday service on a scout trip to Shiloh Battlefield about one of the of my religious journeys and showed this video. Stop before swearing. I noticed the video was private, and so I made it public. Here's the message. Notes for the sermon I wrote. I'm an engineer, not a pastor, so I don't expect my message to be awesome. As a combat veteran, when they spoke of going to Shiloh, the last place I wanted to visit was a battlefield. However, I could tell that it meant a lot to the adults playing the trip. As we were packing up to leave the house, it was a struggle. For you, this is a visit with history. For me, this is a return to hell. As I prayed about what to share, I decided I would share this struggle for my own personal devotion. Read Chronicles 22... Seven through ten. I actually didn't read that. Did you? Uh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I. By this point, I was not. Uh, <laughs> let's just say not, not inspired to take spiritual advice from this guy. Yeah. Uh, there was a post. Somebody said, "I can't stop laughing at the idea of uploading your incredible footage to the most significant historical event since World War II to a platform that doesn't exist yet." And then just forgetting about it for 20 years. They are clearly messing with us. Yeah. That's it. My take after I figured out what this video was. Because uh, I actually thought it, the video I had it confused with shows the exact opposite. It shows someone there. It's like, like, did you see that explosion? And they're like, what, did another plane hit? And he's like, I don't, I didn't see any plane. I'm sitting here taking a video of it. And uh, I, told, so I the, told you there was no planes, Andrew. How many times do we have to go over this? So, so this is, it was from the opposite side. So this is like perfect, just clear as a day. You could tell it's a commercial jet just flying right in against the blue sky. Just, I uh, Unbelievable footage. Yes. And this shows up right as Ukraine's kicking off. On I what was the plan with this though? Because it I, I'm a hundred percent. This is a government contractor that their contract finally ran out. You know, it's like, hey, come on. We've been paying you 
to put out a fake 9-11 video to convince everyone of the official story for 20 years. Like, <laughs> put something out already. Like, fine, here you go. <laughs> but then it gets released on that day. It's like, uh, that's, I don't that's, know. Hey, it, to my credit, when I sent it to you, I was like, why now? Yeah. Why now? He sat on the video for 20 years, but right now he drops it as Ukraine is happening. Is it possible he's a time traveler of some sort? <laughs> he knew this was going to happen. Oh. Well, uh, you know, maybe him and Putin. Maybe traveling back to cause inflation and record 9-11. Just so. And hey, you know, the propaganda works. It distracted us. We t- went this whole show and we didn't talk about the adverse event reports that got put out today conveniently right in the middle of the Ukraine war, right in the middle of, you know, with the State of the Union speech. I'm sure Biden talked a lot about uh, this, but as people have pointed out, if you go to page 30 of uh, this document, it starts listing adverse events. So starts on page 30, and I won't read through all of them, obviously. Where is it? Uh, let's see. That would be faster. Starting with safe, safe and effective. effective. Yeah. It's uh, always rips my eardrums when you do that. But every every show, you got to do it at least once. So Appendix 1, list of adverse events of special interest. So these are just the ones of special interest, Tim. Uh, starting with... 1P36 deletion syndrome, hydroxyglutaric aciduria. All right, so we're on the A's. We Bottom of page 30, we're still on the A's. Arteriovenous graft thrombosis, arteritis, arteritis coronary. On to page 31. Bottom of page 31, we're down to cerebrospinal thrombotic tamponade, cerebrovascular accident, change in seizure presentation, chest discomfort, and bottom of the page, enteropathic spondylitis, eosinopenia, eosinophilic uh, fasciitis. <laughs> Sounds like a political issue. Um, uh. On down, bottom of page 33, herpes virus infection. Oh, I see what what you did there, Pfizer. (laughs) Which makes sense because you end up people getting shingles and chicken pox and everything else. So this does not end until the bottom of page 38, so eight pages, uh, with Zika virus-associated Guillain-Barre syndrome. There you go. Quite the list. And FDA rules say you're supposed to list all the possible side effects at the end of the commercial. That is going to be a long commercial. It's going to be a super long commercial. Alex Berenson from uh, Unreported Truths wrote one called Suffer the Children. It's uh, basically the federal side effects reporting system, otherwise known as VAERS, has received more than 500 reports of life-threatening events, permanent disability, or deaths following mRNA shots in kids and adolescents. 
In light of today's report that the jabs actually increase the risk of COVID infection in kids under 12 and do little or nothing to reduce hospitalizations, I figured you might want to see what these reports actually look like. Lots of myocarditis and cardiovascular events. Uh, Date of death, 6-19-21. No primary care provider on file. Reason for admission, patient is a 13-year-old previously healthy male who is admitted out of hospital for cardiac arrest with ROSC after CPR was 15 minutes in the field. Found to be in the context of large cerebral hemorrhage, secondary to brain lesion. Brief summary of hospitalization below. Uh, There was a a fair bit of sudden onset diabetes, which is a little bit uh, interesting. I hadn't heard of this. Severe tics resembling Tourette's. He has 10 to to 30 tics per minute. He did not have these symptoms at all before vaccine. The occasional psychiatric crisis, uh, anxiety, hallucination, headache, negative thoughts, nervousness, panic attacks, and personality change. One person had personality change, panic attacks, horrible headaches, overcome by scary thoughts and images, felt like bugs were everywhere. Scary thoughts and images felt like bugs were everywhere. That's literally in there. Anxious, scared of everything. This is a spontaneous report received from a contactable consumer. Contactable consumer. Parentheses, parent. And a 13-year-old female patient received the such-and-such dose via an unspecified route of administration administered in the arm. Uh, left arm on May 22nd, 2021 at 1400 as a single dose for COVID-19 immunization administered at pharmacy drug store. The patient has medical history that was had no medical history, no known allergies. The non-committed medications were not reported. Patient was not pregnant at the time of vaccination. The patient has not received any other vaccines within four weeks prior to the COVID vaccine. Prior to the vaccination, the patient was not diagnosed with COVID-19 on May 24th. The, the patient experienced a personality change three days later. May 25th, the patient experienced a personality change. Uh, Alex finishes it up with, don't worry, though. The vaccine fanatics will be glad to tell you the correlation is not causation and VAERS is not reliable. They are correct. The data suggests that 70 to 95% of events are not reported, depending on seriousness. Anyway, it was well worth it to save grandma or something. Remember, dead kids have their whole lives behind them. Grandma has precious years ahead. Official team motto of Team Apocalypse. This is why they hate me. Good. Let them hate me. I will never stop coming for the people who did this. Well, it's, I do appreciate the work Alex Berenson's done, even though he is anti-ivermectin, but (laughs) (laughs) he is anti-ivermectin. Sorry. I didn't mean to send us out on a bad note. We were kind of laughing and enjoying ourselves, but you did the, you did you did a like a comedic hey there's eight pages of side effects and you actually kept it positive. <laughs> I had to I had to read Alex Berenson talking about kids and that was a little much. So without any further ado, can you give us some words of wisdom? We'll see if we can get the show off to our, our editor. Okay. Uh I I prepared oh. the words of wisdom this week. Maybe first time ever. All of you out there, I want you to find someone who loves you as much as Klaus Schwab loves Henry Kissinger. <laughs> I remember the one time I met with Andrew Hoffman. <laughs> we were at Olive Garden in Nashville, Tennessee, attending the last day's conference. We had just heard the great Chris White speak. Yeah. 
Well, so you're saying that I'm your Henry Kissinger, Tim? <laughs> Andrew, you are my um, Henry Kissinger, buddy. Oh, man, that's... I appreciate that's you. A, a huge, that's a huge honor to see you on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it is a huge honor to see you on the screen. I will thank you in person. Yeah, Creepy. All right. Thank you for doing a show, sir, and uh, everybody out there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for making a video, Will, and for shouting us out to it. And uh, James Corbett for making documentaries about Terrence Yankee and the Oklahoma City bombing 12 years ago. While Jesse (laughs) Trinidou is still Still going. Yeah. While Jesse Trinidou is still fighting it out, too. Thank you to all the people out there who say no and stand up in whatever way they can to tyranny. And for you and I, that's uh, for you to get off the golf course and me to get the kids in bed and rant about the new world order or supposed powers that be. Yeah. And the name of Will's video. Ah, yes. And it'll be, I should link that in the show notes. Pray not to the waves from the shores of Ben Salem. It's a good one. So. All right. Perfect. He's a, I, you know, that. Uh, you guys are so good with the titles, but anyway. <laughs> I try. I try. I'm jealous. I don't. I that's can. all. That's all I do. That's all I can do. Just I'm over here, just reading 4chan and posting titles. That's all I do. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, man. Have a good week. You too, man. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at RevelationsRadioNews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com, and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't you say-